Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, good snowy evening, everyone. Those of you that are in the Midwest and Mid-Atlantic like us, you're probably experiencing the same day that we are, odd into the April month, but uh, is what it is. (laughs) Winter just won't go away. So a little bit of snow pounding down here at Red Toolhouse Farm as I record this bumper, but uh, I hope everyone is staying warm and things are greening up nicely in your area. Those up north, maybe you're just now starting to thaw out. But anyway, spring is coming. Well, a couple quick announcements before we get into our discussion today. Uh, First and foremost, I wanted to let everyone know that we do have our first episode, uh, podcast episode on the Patreon uh, firewall side, and that's that uh, deeper dive into marketing that we discussed we do that um, those that were supporters of Patreon expressed an interest in that, so we're we're doing that. So if if that's something that may interest you, you may want to consider uh, going to Patreon, check that out. I'll put some links below down in the uh, the show notes. But that first episode is a deep dive into cost analysis and how to price your products. And we set it up to be focused primarily on pork products, but uh, these uh, same standards would apply for any farm products. So if you're uh, polyculture, or you've got other farm supplies or other farm products that you produce, then this would be applicable as well. And we also created a spreadsheet that has... Um, examples in it. It's downloadable and it has the equations in it. So uh, all the formulas already in. So you just simply drop in your information. It'll help you calculate your variable costs and look at your fixed costs. Even gives you a, a tracker for your feed input, fuel if you need to. And of course, calculates all of that. And the way I look at it, the way I do it here on my farm is I calculate that by uh, cost per pig and then go from cost per pig to cost per pound. So it's kind of a two-step process. I think it's the best way to track your costs and get an idea of where your pricing should be. So for our Patreon patrons, if you want to access that podcast episode, just simply go to Patreon and you'll see that there's an RSS feed now available. You can add that RSS feed to any of your feed devices, any of your podcast apps that you use. And I even put instructions on there for people using iTunes or uh, Apple. So be sure to check that out. Super easy. And you just do it one time and then all the new episodes will push down to that. And our second announcement is I'm still looking for a veterinarian that would be willing to come onto the podcast to talk specifically about pastured pig welfare and and their experience with pastured pigs. And I, I just haven't had any luck with that. The ones I've reached out to, I've gotten no response So again, if you're listening, if you have a vet that you uh, appreciate and appreciates what you're doing on pasture, then send their information my way. I'll reach out to them and and see if they'd be willing to come on for a brief conversation. I think that would be a good perspective to include. Well, tonight's discussion is is a good one. I, I appreciate Matt coming on the podcast and sharing his experience. He had a rough first go with farrowing. So his first farrowing everyone farm had a real rough experience. And it takes, it takes a big guy to come on and, and tell about the failure. So I really appreciate him being transparent with us, sharing his challenges he faced. But it's, it's really exciting to hear how he's, um, 
He's remaining undaunted and moving forward, learning from those mistakes and learning from those issues, uh, but still plowing ahead and still pursuing his dream. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into our discussion with Matt. Well, everybody, welcome back to the Pastured Pig podcast. Excited to have another uh, great interview set up for you all. Today, all the way from Shelbyville, Indiana, I have Matt Ross with Field of Hops Farm, which I love that name. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Matt. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Right. All right. So Indiana, at the time of recording, the entire East Coast is supposed to be blasted with snow. Did you guys get any of that? Are you in the mix of it? Um, yeah, it's uh, snowing a little bit here. Uh, for us, we got like two inches a couple days ago, and it's actually sticking around and might get a couple more inches, and that's pretty big time for us right now. All right. Yeah. Yeah, we're supposed to get ice tonight, so we're... Uh... We're hoping we can get this recording done before the power goes out. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. If, if there's just an, an immediate cutoff to you people listening, then you know that the power went out and Troy was unable to finish. <laughs> of course, I guess I wouldn't have published if that was the case either. All right. Well, um, so first of all, I, uh, I'm kind of doing this out of order, but I got to address the name. So why is the name of your farm called Field of Hops? Okay. Well, um, the first really major thing I went into was um, I started a small hop field. So I have um, about is about 200 hop plants hmm. on my farm. Um, and uh, I like craft beer and uh, went one day and learned that, you know, I could grow hops in my uh, area. And I was like, oh, I was intrigued and uh, decided to uh, look into it more. And um, it is definitely one of the most challenging things I've ever been around to grow. No, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, That's you, where it comes. yeah, you, you wouldn't happen to also raise rabbits, would you? No. <laughs> yeah. Feel the hop. Yeah, you could get a lot of dual purpose out of that name there. <laughs> yeah. A rabbit and the hop farm. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's stop with the dad jokes. So, um, so let's back up a little bit, Matt. So you're in Indiana. Tell me a little bit about your setup and what got you into farming. Were you a farmer all your life, or is this something you've just taken on recently? Okay. Um, I uh, grew up uh, on a farm, around farming my whole life. Uh, my grandpa was a full-time farmer, and uh, my dad was a part-time farmer, worked full-time, and then um, was in 4-H and all that stuff and was around it. And then uh, after high school and some of that, you know, went to college, got away from it and all that, and then decided as I got older I wanted to get back to the country life and all of that. So moved and got five acres out in the country and um, decided that I don't want to sit here and mow it all, so <laughs> I wanted to do something with it. So I started um, a few different adventures, and um, we have the hops that we started with, and there was already a existing chicken coop that we had, so I got some chickens, and then eventually I said, hey, I want some uh, pigs, because we were eating a lot of pork, yeah. and, and I said, so let's get a couple pigs, so I got two pigs, um, raised them out, and, you know, we kept one, and told the other one of family or whatever, and I'm like, all right, that went pretty well, and listened to some info and some different podcasts and tried to, you know, 
understand what everybody was doing and what the best way to go. And they're like, okay, don't go crazy. Don't go out and get like 30 hogs now. Right. You know, get a few more. Okay, well, I'll, I'll go get four this time. So I went to the guy that I got the two off of, you know, Brickshire breeder. He raises um, show pigs, but, you know, there's a few in there that don't make the cut or whatever, but they still taste just as good. Um, so I went to him and said, I want four this time. And he said, well, I got nine. You take all nine or none. I said, well, I guess I'm going to take nine. <laughs> it's the old piglet blackmail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then it ended up with nine, and um, that went really well. I did a, like a batch of four, and then I did a batch of five, and then um, I think one, I don't remember which, which one it was, but I, I actually took some to the butcher, and then on the way home with the trailer, I stopped at uh, the guy's house and picked up some more piglets, too. Mm. Um, and then I ended up buying a boar and uh, said, decided I wanted to get into breeding because it's hard to uh, earn that profit if you're paying for feed and buying the feeder pig from what I've experienced. So um, now I have a few gilts and a boar and trying to get my breeding program going. All right. All right. So let's, let's back up here and address something you said that that, that kind of raised an eyebrow. So you grew up on a farm, uh, family, family history of farming, but did your, did you, did you raise pigs when you were growing up? Did your folks raise pigs in that situation or was that something new? Um, no, we did actually. Um, started out with uh, sheep when I was really young and I don't remember much of that and then went into hogs um, and uh, got pretty decent. We're, uh, we had a farrowing house with, uh, I think it had six or seven farrowing crates in there. Um, and was doing kind of the, well, back then the just normal traditional thing, fairing crates, and um, they weren't on pasture, but they weren't on co- they weren't in concrete buildings, mm-hmm. um, you know, where they just out in a feedlot, <clears throat> um, raised land race mostly, so big old floppy ears and mean pigs. Right. Yeah. Um, that's that's what we raised. It wasn't any. Bearing um, in the hut or anything like that. We used crates and yeah. all that stuff and did that for many years. And then uh, dad went to cattle after that, shortly after yeah. that. So, so what, so yeah. So what, what are the practices? I mean, where have you changed in, in your process? Uh, are you, are you still a lot raising them? It sounds like you're not using the farrowing crates. Um, what's changed in your process from how you remember growing up? Um, I'm definitely um, working towards it or doing the pasture um, side of it. I don't, um, you know, I am I am feeding corn um, and a little bit of soy. I try to stay away from the soy uh, too much and just do a lot of corn um, with the pasture. Uh, but with my five acres, I get a little limited sometimes and I'm looking to expand some of that. And that comes with challenges and land prices and all that stuff too. Right. Yeah. So trying to, um, you know, get to that um, pasture raised and doing my farrowing out in the pasture yeah. with just little houses and um, no farrowing crates and seeing how that goes. Yeah. 
do you have conversation? Learning a lot together. Right, right. Do you have conversation with your folks about that? Is, you know, do you, does your dad give you some pushback to say, that's not how you do it, this is how you do it? Um, no, um, I, I don't, I haven't had any conversations with my dad. My dad passed away when I oh. was, uh, 30, so like 12 years ago. So, um, I'm sorry. I haven't had a chance to have any of those conversations with him, but yeah. at least not <clears throat> the ones in my head, maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is, this is the part where Troy sticks his foot in his mouth as well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. All right. Okay, well, let's um, let's uh, move ahead here and talk about. So, so you talked about getting this five acres. Is is it close to the family farm? You're still kind of in the same neighborhood, or, or what's the situation there? Um, no, I'm actually uh, probably an hour and a half away from where I grew up. Oh, okay. And um, it, it, I mean, it's crazy stories or whatever. And got out of that, went to the big city with some of my friends. Uh, get away from home and then uh kind of grew up a little bit and like i want to buy a house and then i'm like i'm not going to buy a house in the city because it's too expensive so i bought one on the outskirts kind of in a little small town outside of the big city of indianapolis and then um i said well i want to buy some land so then i went out even further to uh get a better price on the land yeah. so yeah. ended up um uh, hour and a half, probably away from where I grew up. Okay, so is it, it just you uh, on the farm? Do you have Do you have help? Do you have spouse, kids? Um, I am married, and we have two kids. I have a six year old and a three year old. Okay, so that uh, so, so they're not earning their uh, keep yet. That it sounds like. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they they keep us pretty busy too. So. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. So um, so the the. I always love the evolution of this. That's why I like I like talking about backstory so much because I, I just love to to understand how people get into this. And of course, it sounds like you, know, you had a history you, farming. You got the land. You knew you wanted to be out. And, uh, and I love what you said. So the fact that you uh, you decided to get pigs because you eat a lot of pork was that was that really the the key catalyst there? Were there other incentives that you ran into? Um, I think it was probably a easy that I've been around it when I grew I, when I was growing up. I'd been around them and I showed them the 4-H, and that, that probably helped. But honestly, I mean, it really was. Um, we were buying, um, you know, like quarter beef and stuff off other people too, and then um, it's crazy. But the wife, after she had kids, um, kind of was really turned off by red meat. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I don't. I don't. We don't. You know. Just something. Whatever happened after having kids, and so we weren't eating as much beef, and we were just eating a lot of pork. So, yeah. you know, like, hey, well, we're eating pork, so I'm going to get the pigs. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So you're about. Um, you say you're about two or three years into this now, as far as raising raising pigs on your own on your five acres. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It's uh, interesting. Um, you know, I get on Facebook or something, I feel like I've, as I, you know, rotate, I almost look at my years as uh, my group of pigs, you know. Right. I had this two, and then I had this four, and then I had this group, and I'm like, I feel like it's been, you know, six years or something, and then I get a flashback, <laughs> and it's like two years ago or three years ago, and it's my first two pigs, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that wasn't that long ago, was it? So, yeah, that's interesting funny. how it's... Um, 
accelerated itself and um, trying to keep up with all of it. And yeah, that's pretty well. That's that's a good time, and I do the same thing. I'm like, well, that was like three sales ago. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's the the calculation more so than it is calendar wise. So what, um, are, are you settled on a specific breed? Are you still kind of testing that? Uh, you, you talked about getting your, your gilts and some boars now. What uh, what direction did you go there? Um, well, actually, so I was going with the, the Brookshire. Um, pretty popular in uh, what I've heard from, and I honestly don't remember it from when I was growing up. So I'm like 41 now, and so, you know, it had been 20 years ago or something. We were raising land race, and... I, you know, I remember Hamps and Durox and Cross and uh, Yorkshire and all those. But um, so Brickshire, um, that was something available. They got them. They seem to be going well. And uh, started doing some more research into the pasture stuff and um, looked into these uh, pigs that have fur, mangalese. Yeah. And I said, oh, those are pretty interesting and um, did some research into that and uh, the meat's supposed to be a lot redder and different and um, do well in the pasture. And so I went and got four of them. So I bought two um, barrows and two gilts hmm. and brought them home. And the plan is to um, breed them, or I did breed them, <laughs> with my Rickshire boar. And um, I have six babies out there right now that are actually uh, just over a week old. Oh, okay. That are okay. half and half. And I, I, you know, planes are always changing and um, always trying to learn and uh, make sure things are going right. But I think the direction I want to go in is I want them to be um, one quarter mangly. So I don't know if I'm going to go and then breed them back to a Brickshire, and I've been thinking about um, and some of the stuff I've listened to and people talking about um, Durox and maybe mm -hmm. put some Durox into it also. Yeah. So, yeah. so kind of trying to develop my own cross, I guess, that works well for us. Yeah, 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 that's interesting. <clears throat> so so with breeding the Berkshire boar to the manga gilt, so you, it sounds like you bred two gilts. Um, so both farrowed. How, how did that go? Um, well, uh, it went pretty well. I have a cross also that I picked up um, from the guy I got the Brickshires from, and uh, they, she was going to be a show pig, and then apparently didn't make the cut, so he just sold her to me as a feeder, and she's the most docile, calm pig in the world, and I said, oh, I'm going to keep her and breed her. Um, so I bred her, and I saw her and the boar out in the pasture, um, what, almost four months ago, and doing what they were supposed to be doing, and I was like, oh, okay, that's good, and marked it on the calendar, and i never seen him get a hold of anything else, and I had two other gilts, um, they were Brickshire, and then I had the two mangalees that were with him, and i never seen him mess with any of those, hmm. and then uh, probably two, three weeks ago, you know, out feeding every day, and I'm like, man, the mangalies sure do seem like they're developing. Like, i never seen it. And uh, I got lucky, and I walked out in the pasture, uh, what was it? Uh, 
like a week ago Tuesday, and she had had her babies in the in the pen where she was still with the other pigs, and the boar was in the pen too. Uh-huh. He didn't he didn't mess with them, so I got them separated pretty quick. So I yeah. got them away from there. But uh, I was planning to separate them the following weekend, but apparently I was off by about a week. Yeah. Okay. But, so apparently it went pretty well, and uh, they did what they were supposed to. And I do work full time job, so um, some, I don't know when it happened, but I definitely didn't catch those two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it definitely. And happens. it went well, but uh, my blue butt, my cross, um, which she went first, um, definitely did not go well, and was a very interesting experience for mm. us. Okay, so let's 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 get into that if you don't mind talking about it. So, so she is is the cross and bred with your Berkshire boar, and she goes to Pharaoh first. Um, and what issues did you have? Did you just have a lot of stillbirth? Did you have uh, difficulty? Did you have to pull. Um, so I went out there, and you know, I don't know in my um, thinking that you know I grew up around pigs. A little bit and I know some stuff so I'm good I got a nice I put her off by herself I built me a nice um, hut with a board in the back to, so the pigs could get away if we needed to and you know got everything set up I think the way it needed to um, I was ready to go checked on her all the time and went out um, it was a Sunday and uh, there were two pigs they were uh, both alive, and they were overeating, and I was like, hey, yay, she's having, having her pigs. Finally, I knew it was going to happen, and um, I was like, I thought, oh, that's good, that's good. And I think went back in to um, help take care of the kids for the morning, and then went back out um, not shortly after, and she had had another one, and it was dead. Mm. So I think it was probably born dead, but um, didn't look like it had moved much or anything. Um, I was like, ah. That stinks, but it's all right. So um, I stayed out there and, you know, taking care of the other animals and going back and forth and just watching things and knowing um, there wasn't much more action happening. And I didn't see any afterbirth or anything. And from what everything I've read and knowing stuff, it's like, okay, it should be, you know, 15, 30 minutes, you know, max between something should be happening. She was definitely still having contractions. And um, so I thought there's definitely probably still a pig in there. So at this point, um, I wasn't sure what to do. Um, I know this is a common thing now, but um, back in the day when I was growing up, we didn't pull pigs. I had never heard of such a thing. Right, yeah. Um, And I can never remember... Uh, you know, I was like, well, maybe Dad did it, and I I, I don't think it did. I, I don't think we ever pulled a pig. I never heard of such a thing. So I started making the phone calls, and luckily um, I know a few people. There's a guy in northern Indiana that's been doing it um, for a few more years and um, talked to him and got his advice, and um, that's when he started telling me, he said, well, you know, she's probably got another pig in there, and you're going to have to go in there. I'm like, oh, okay. So um, I got the wife involved, too, and um, since she's got smaller hands and heard that can be uh, important because 
pigs aren't that large. Yeah. So um, we went back out there. Um, so we ran to the town real quick. It was 10 minutes away and, you know, got some um, shoulder gloves and some lube. And um, then we uh, went in to see what was going on, and there was definitely still a pig in there. Mm. And uh, tried, you know, get a hold of it. Said, everybody said that we talked to, you know, get a hold of whatever you can and get it out of there. Yeah. And uh, we just they just couldn't do it. Like you could reach a pig, you get it, but you couldn't get your hand out and the pig out together, and uh, it just didn't work. And so, luckily, you know, we had uh, a number of resources. Um, my six-year-old, I got him enrolled in many 4-H this year. So I was talking to his 4-H leader. He has pigs, and then I was talking to my friend up north, and then the wife was texting. Um, one of our neighbors that knew someone that had animals and um, so that we had all kinds of people we were talking with which was great and trying to get the right decisions and what was going on and learning that you know there's uh, use like a goat polar or something like that too um, in the future and that this is a common thing these days because um, I guess we breed now for a lot of show stuff they're you know, muscle, real muscle in the barrows, and that it gets into the gilts. And so now it's um, they're a lot more muscular than they used to be. So it's a very common thing to have to pull pigs. So um, that was a learning experience and uh, something I feel bad about for my, my pig that um, I wasn't more prepared for and all of that. So um, we ended up not being able to get it out. So then um, our neighbor, ours, um, actually went to Purdue University. I don't know if you've heard of that great school or not. Yeah. Um, he came out and uh, had worked for a large ag pig operation in Indiana and had done this many times and went in and tried as well, and she couldn't get it out either. So... Um, in some aspects, that made us feel a little bit better because we were like, oh, we don't know what we're doing. We weren't doing it right. right. It was just yeah. a bad situation. Um, so at that point, then we make the call to the vet. And uh, I was kind of shocked as that call went. But then afterwards, you think about it, and it makes sense. And I called, and, you know, they had to call him because it was a Sunday. And he finally called me back, and... Um, you know, he said, it, it's a guilt. Yeah, and he said, oh, my hands are too big. I'll never get inside of her. And I said, okay, okay. And he's like, sorry, there's not much I can do. And uh, our friend had said something about maybe a potential C-section or something. Um, so I said something to him, this is the vet, about maybe performing a C-section. And he said, no. He goes, in my experience, he goes, it's just they, the chances of, of the pig surviving it, um, the mom, of the C-section are very slim. So yeah. he goes, I refuse. I won't do it. Hmm. Wow. So I was kind of like, ah, okay, well, great. I guess I should have got a different vet lined up ahead of time. <laughs> but then to think about it and just, you know, as a business um, cost-wise and everything else, it, it definitely made sense. I understood where he was coming from, and it was definitely the right call, I think, to make. Um, so... 
crying, the you know, let her say give her a break, then go back out later this evening and see if um, you can try it again. Like, okay, okay. So we went back out later that evening, um, as we're, you know, the six year old and three year old are in the house. <laughs> so I had to kind of bribe my six year old to kind of keep an eye on his brother a little bit so we could both go out there. Right. right. Uh, but uh, we went back out there, and then we couldn't, even, we couldn't even feel the baby. We couldn't even find the baby at all at that time. So um, there was potential talks to previously um, in the afternoon that maybe she had got a tear. So now we were worried that we were going into the tear and not into the right spot, and that's why we couldn't find the baby or the baby went back in either way. So she was just laboring really hard, and um, we couldn't find it. So at that point, you know, it was a tough decision, but we're, we're kind of stuck. There's not much we could do. Um, you know, I'm preparing myself to potentially have to put her down um, the following day because I don't want her to sit there and suffer, um, anything like that. It's a, a very important to me uh, that the animals are treated, treated right, and I think that's a a lot of the, one of the biggest things about, I think, pasture pork and the movement that, or whatever you want to call it that we're in is, is you treat your animals right. Right, yeah. Yes, at the end of the day, we're going to put them on our plate and all that, but we're going to give them a good life, and we're going to treat them the right way. So um, trying to prepare for that, and uh, eventually went to bed and got up early, and uh, I think she, I think she had passed, she hadn't passed one yet still. Um, she was still contracting. And so then I called the vet again, and he was, you know, he's like, oh, darn, I was hoping she would pass it. And like, so then he said, okay, well, I'm going to put her on some um, the utter block. Um, to give to her and uh, hopefully that'll help and just give it time and he said I've he goes you know this is a rare case he goes but I've seen before where a um, pig will pass a baby after eight days later oh gracious wow <laughs> it starts to decompose and all that he said I've seen it happen so yeah. now that's a rare case he's like lean me towards it you know most likely she's not going to make it the babies definitely aren't going to make it but you know, we'll, we'll give her these meds, and I think just to boost her and maybe shut down her uh, milk production. Um, oh, and at that point, um, sometime Sunday evening, she had laid on one of the two babies she had that was alive. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I had one live pig. So then at that point, it came in the house and said, okay, your mom's distressed. Mom is not feeling well. We've not been nice to her for the whole day so you know we're you're just going to come inside we'll bottle feed you and that'll be done it's not the mom's fault it's just she's not feeling well um so we're taking care of that one um in the house so and that one is still doing very well and uh it's taken to the bottle feeding very well and getting very chubby and spoiled um <laughs> so Anyway, so we started giving, went to the vet, got the meds, started giving that, and then finally, I think it was Wednesday, um, she finally passed with one. I was like, oh, well, that's good, you know, um, 
definitely seem to be um, contracting still in all those periods. But, okay, well, there's one. Um, the thing I do know about pigs is, you know, there's still, let's see, that puts us at, like, uh, we're at four at this point. So there's most likely more. You know, it's not, that's a pretty small litter for pigs. Um, but it could be that small. So we'll see. Haven't seen any afterbirth or any of that. She's still kind of laboring hard and um, giving her meds and all that. And uh, she was drinking water, um, not eating. I think she finally Thursday got up a little bit and messed around with her feed um, and stirred in it. Um, so then I was running low on um, the medication and called the vet Friday and uh, told him. And he goes, okay, let's. It's just more of that, and then gave me something else. I think what it was, Benamine, I think, just to boost her appetite. Um, so that was Friday around lunchtime, and I said, okay, we'll do that. And uh, we gave her that, and as soon as I got off the phone with him, the wife had called, and she had passed another one. Oh, wow, okay. So that, you know, we're five days later. That's amazing. Um, but that's good. And then um, that was just this past Friday. So then um, I still didn't see much of an afterbirth. I think at one point I saw a very small amount. Um, and I know they'll, pigs in history, they tend to eat it or, you know, could possibly, or maybe she buried it in the hay or something. And anyways, all that. So then Friday I got home, checked on her, gave her meds. And Saturday... When I went out to check on her, um, she was acting normal. She had stopped contracting. Um, she actually got up a little bit more than she had been. Um, and so I think that was it, and she was done. And uh, she continues to make improvements, and I think she's definitely over that hurdle, and she is going to live. Um, I don't think I will ever breed her again. Right. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll get her better and... Still lays around a lot, not eating much, but um, doesn't come out of her house. And it's pretty cold here right now, especially for Indiana. We got a heat lamp in there with everything else she's been going on. Um, luckily, it's close to the house, so I can run a cord out there to get that and just uh, get her taken care of and get her feeling better. And then, um, you know, we'll make the decision here in a couple months about what will happen to her. But yeah. uh, definitely not going to go down the breeding road with her again. I don't think it's meant to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, am I going to say that was our, that was our first one? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a, a harrowing tale, and and fortunately she survived. You know, normally in those situations that uh, yeah the guilt doesn't make it either. So uh, that that was that was uh, fortunate that she made it through. But um, my goodness, let's let's turn to the good side then. So the Mangalitsas went uh, went later, and they they had successful farrowings, I assume. I, I tell you, it's it's you know. The, the farming, I think I saw somebody uh, share a chart or something, and it was this up-and-down line, you know, high, real high highs and real low lows, and it was like, this is an example of farming. Right. And it's like, one day, you're like, I love this, this is everything I wanted to do, and everything is going amazing, and the next day, I'm selling it all. Right. Yep, strike and, a match and walk away. You have those, and man, after dealing with that guilt and I'm like maybe you know maybe this just isn't meant to be I'm not doing something tonight I'm just it's not happening and then to walk out there and 
you know, again, I know I got lucky because the boar was still in the pen and uh, there were other pigs in the pen too, but uh, luckily she's a very protective mother. Um, so she did a good job and I got them separated and that really, uh, you know, helped us feel a lot better about what was going on. So we have some, some babies on the ground. We're, we're learning from it and, you know, I hate for the loss of life and that we had with that and we'll just try to see where we can go. Um, I definitely listened to one of your most recent episodes where you were talking to someone that um, does pasture pigs but uses farin crates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really liked what she had to say and, you know, just a couple days in there and I don't know. I don't know that it'll go that way but it's in the back of my head now and thinking about it and things that are going on and now I know to be prepared for pulling pigs and never thought that was even a thing. Right, right. Yeah, you know, that's, that's interesting. It's That's a very polarizing situation with, with uh, you know, in the pastured pig world where you, you, you bring up farrowing crates. If you're not if you're not booing them and, and throwing things and saying they're terrible, then then you're not a pastured pig farmer. And, and again, man, I've, everybody's got to do what they got to do on their farm, what they think is best for their animals, what they think is best for their, their setup. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've got opinions like everybody else. But, yeah, it, it, it is interesting to see. And when, when you go out and you've got um, a litter that's been crushed or you got even just a couple have been crushed, it definitely you know, puts that seed in your mind. It's like, man, you know, w- would this have happened had I had this in place? And again, we could say it comes back to mothering instincts. It comes back to infrastructure. There's certain things in there that you can tackle as well. But, but yeah, it's your farm. You, you do what you think is best for your animals and your situation. So um, I, I do want to, uh, real quick, and then we'll move on, uh, but, but the two manga, so the two manga gilts both farrowed, and that was a total of six out of the, out of the two of them, or, or were there more, more out of those litters? How, what did you think of the litter size? Okay, um, the first um, ended up, let's see, we ended up um, with eight out of the one. Okay. And then the second one, I knew it was right close to it, um, so they actually were when I when I separated them, I left them both together, and then they had a, their own individual houses to go into. Um, and so I knew the second one was going to go too. And um, you know, with everything else going on with the other one and all that, I think went out there a couple days later, and she had had two, mm. and they were both dead. Okay. The second one. So. <laughs> Again, I'm back to that, you know, I, I'm not sure what's, what's going on here and um, things aren't going well. So I've had three gilts, Pharaoh, and I have, um, let's see, the one had eight. One was dead when it was born, um, so then there were seven. And I'm not sure, I have been meaning to research this and look it up, but I don't know with that breed if it's common or not. She is very protective. But once I had seen him, I picked one up with my bare hands and brought it up to the house. She was away eating and showed it to the family or whatever because, you know, we were excited with everything else we had been through. Um, and I don't know if it was that one or not, but one of them eventually got stepped on, um, which, again, the fairy crates gets back to some of that. Um, and then it was okay. It had a little scratch on its back and, it seemed like it was okay, and then the next day I went back out there and I had another mark on it where it looked like it had been stepped on before or stepped on again, 
it almost felt like when I was out there watching him that she was almost kind of not as protective or not caring as much to that one. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe that was me reading into it. So, anyways. So, that took us down to six. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, we were at six with the Mang, and then I had the one bottle feed yeah. in the basement. <laughs> yeah. And then the other Mang ended up having two. Um, again, she's very protective and, um, you know, you get anywhere near the hut and anything and she's snorting at me and all that stuff. So with them being in the same pen as the other one, she kept going into the hut where the babies were because I think she thought that maybe those were hers now. Right. Yeah. She couldn't figure out where hers were. So I had to put a gate up and separate them too. But I don't know what went wrong with her. Um, she... She ended up having them. She buried them. She was fine. Um, even when I went out there and found them, she was up. She didn't seem like she was laboring still. Um, so I don't know what went wrong with her. Yeah. But she ended up only having those two. She had them by herself. They were fine, but neither one of them made it. Yeah, wow. So I know they're known for, I think, from um, what I've seen, they're known to have smaller litters, so I'm not overly concerned with the first one's litter size. The second one, too, that's not, you know, not very good. Um, they're only right around a year old, too, so I don't know if that had something to do with it, too. Yeah, but. yeah I'd, I'd heard that. I, I don't have much, uh, I don't know much about mangas at all, but I, I do know they make this, they usually have the smaller litters, and, and again, with gilts, you know, you just, you just don't know what you're going to get there. That's, that's the first go-around. And man, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to recount all that. That's it's not the easiest thing to do to to uh, you know discuss issues or shortcomings, uh, knowing that everybody's listening and you know the armchair quarterbacking's going on. So I appreciate you you bearing your soul on all this. So let me ask you. So w- with this um, this success rate that you have, what is your takeaway? What's when you move forward? What do you what do you think is going to be the next step with with that breed line? Are you are you changing some things? You already mentioned maybe considering fairing crates, but what other conclusions have you come to? Well, um, trying to you know trying to look at positives and trying to learn. And I think the biggest thing I I have learned is I think I was going into it a little too. Um, thinking I was prepared. I grew up on a hog farm. I've been around pigs. I'm ready. I don't need to research any of this stuff. I'm just going to let my guilt go out and have her babies. And so maybe I should have been having those conversations with these four or five people that we were that one day, you know, two weeks earlier. Um, maybe it, it most likely, especially with that guilt, the one guilt, wouldn't have probably changed anything. Maybe it would have. Maybe we would have been able to get some of those out of there and save her a couple of days of release. But, um, you know, I think about it in some of the podcasts and stuff that we listen to and, you know, people like, oh, I've, you know, spent my whole life in the city. I've never been on a farm. and I'm going to start. And it's almost maybe a better take because they know they know nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> so I'm, I have to research. I have to read. Right. And I got kind of uh, – thinking, I know what I'm doing. I don't need to look at that. So I just need to know that, you know, I need to prepare and um, do my research better, and there's nothing wrong with that, um, and asking questions at all, um, ever. And the best thing I love about um, 
all of it is is how helpful and friendly people are. You know, uh, the people that came out to our house, um, they didn't take anything. They wouldn't take any payment, um, nothing. Like, no, 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 you're fine. So we just took their, you know, Sunday afternoon and, you know, it was good people. And it's nice to know that that's the kind of people that you're getting involved with and the people that do this as well. And moving forward, I think, um, again, try to look at what's good and what happened. And um, the board did pretty well. I, I believe uh, we're he's probably 70 to 80% throwing uh, boards. So um, I like that. Um, I did get two gilts right now out of my Mang Rickshire Cross, which is what I wanted. So... I'll keep those, and uh, then I have some decisions to make as they start to grow, and you know, what I'm going to breed them um, back to, and um, where I'm going to end up. So, uh, like I said, I think I'm leaning maybe towards adding some Brickshire in there or uh, Duroc in there, or do I want to just get um, another Brickshire boar and breed them to that? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, uh, definitely. Uh, I don't know, maybe not smart enough or anything, but definitely not giving up and just try to appreciate everything that the animals have been through and learn from it to prevent uh, as much as you can of that. But it's part of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all you can do, man. Is is just take your notes, learn, extract what you can from the situation. And put up a plan and, and move on. And uh, that's, that's funny you mentioned the, the, the people that didn't know anything. That, that was my situation. I'd never raised pigs before. And the first two fairwings from AI were, went so successful. I had 12 perfect out of one and 10 perfect out of another. No losses, no steps or anything. And I thought, what's everybody complaining about? This is easy. <laughs> and, then, and then the subsequent ones it's like oh okay I, I see what people are talking about now I, I've had to reach in and grab a pig I've had some loss I've had an entire litter lost and I've had a I've had a uh, guilt die in, in the process so yeah it yeah that, those things can definitely humble you really really quick but uh, but you just yeah, gotta yeah I think that's a good uh, point too and maybe looking forward to and not just um, as I go forward and um, trying to improve my breeding program or expand it. Um, not just like, hey, I have a gilt, so I'm going to breed her. Like, let's look at her, you know, is she the right build? Is she, you know, I need to investigate it better maybe. And some of it, it's out of your hands. You can't tell because, you know, there's things inside that you don't know are happening or the way it is. But, you know, not just saying, oh, I got a gilt, so I'm going to breed her. Right, yeah. Yeah, that that's yeah. You, yeah. You, you find yourself learning and 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 just watching them confirmation. I'm doing the same. In fact, I was doing the same thing this afternoon. Just looking at uh, two of my sows, and it's like, okay, if I was to get rid of one and breed the other exclusively, you know, what what's confirmation I like? What are some of the features and temperament and all that? So, you know, there's a lot of things. That's where I always say a good notebook comes in handy because you can keep track of all that and and help put together a game plan. I th- it's uh, I think it's definitely um, going well, and I think uh, getting into it in the right time, there's definitely a lot of interest um, from people in um, what we're doing or trying to do. And um, with my five acres, um, sometimes I'm a little 
limited in uh, spacing and trying to expand too far, and I don't want to end up in that where I'm 100% just a feedlot. Um, we did have a very dry fall where I was unable to reseed my um, pasture pens that I have right now, so they didn't get seeded before the winter, um, which was planned, but that's, you know, part of it too, so I'll get them going in the spring, and luckily I still got some area that I haven't um, penned off, and I'll get some hot pens around that and make sure that I keep the pigs in some form of grass and um, where they can do some rooting and get some of those roots and some of that stuff too, so yeah. I think that's important um, in that, and um, it's a, you know, a hard term. I don't know that there's a lot of, with the pasture pork that, you know, it's not just grass. I don't know that there may, I could be wrong, but there's a few people, I think, maybe that have some pigs that only eat grass. But I think most all operations are um, supplementing with some kind of yeah, yeah, I think that that's really the only way you're going to have a have a successful grow out is if if you're incorporating that. Uh, that's that's been my experience, and I think that's what the probably the vast majority of people we've talked to have run have encountered as well. Um, man, we've we've talked at we've talked at length about uh, about your your loss, and I guess, like I said, I appreciate you coming on and and talking about all that, and and it's it's always funny how these conversations just kind of evolve as we go along. But before I wrap up, I, I do want to ask you just a couple questions real quick. Is uh, so what? So the challenge you face with the five acres, you'd mentioned, uh, you know, possibly looking at expansion or or possibly just kind of re re looking or even you know trying to be extra creative with that five acres. Now you are not exclusively uh, raising pigs, right? You have other other livestock and other things you're doing on that five acres, correct? Yes. Um, so I have a small hop field. Um, we put out a pretty decent garden and then I have some uh, chickens as well um, the house when we got it um, had a chicken coop on it I've never been around chickens in my, ever before in my life um, but <laughs> wow. um, like hey there's a chicken coop here might as well get some chickens so we got six layers let's try it out and um, they we I was like I'm going to do this I'm going to let them roam um, they're going to run free um, free range them and that's how I'm going to do it lock them up at night we're good to go. Um, so we got into some chickens, and our first pick uh, went really well. You know, we even with the free ranger, we didn't have any predators, we didn't have any issues. I think for the first uh, year and a half, two years, and um, did really well. And then um, we started to get into the predator issue and all that stuff. But uh, I've done well with the layers. And then um, this past summer, I decided I wanted some meat birds because. Uh, similar to the pork, um, we were eating a lot of chicken. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're, I'm going to grow what we're eating. So if you're going to keep buying chicken, then I'm going to get some meat birds. Let's try some meat birds. Um, so I got some Cornish, Cornish crosses, um, and they were very interesting compared to layers. Um, so I think I'm going to try to find a different breed of meat birds to go to them um, this spring. Um, even if it takes longer to feed them out, I just uh, want them to be a, I don't know, I feel like a more natural bird that will do better in the pasture and stuff like that. And our Cornish did actually go out. They would go out and peck in the grass and 
you know, sometimes we'd laugh and make fun because they'd, they'd sit down. Like, your layers would go out, they're always standing up, pecking around for bugs and stuff, and the meat birds would sit down and peck at the ground. Right, right. But they're just an interesting breed. So we have some chickens on there, too. So, uh, yeah, definitely um, some other things going on as well. Yeah, all right. So, trying to get that rotated. Um, luckily, with the hops, you have 10 foot between each row, so it makes nice little runs that um, you can run your pigs down through or something else also. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's a good balancer. That would be uh, keep the weeds down and, guess, uh, and put some fertilizer five. down in the process. Yeah, yeah, fertilizer and all that. Uh, one of my things maybe that I picked up from my uh, professional or my full-time jobs and business side of things is that, you know, don't don't have all your eggs in one basket. Right. <laughs> and uh, you need to, you know, be diverse because some things are going to maybe not be as good as other years and all of that. So it's good to have some different options as well to help everything carry when things aren't as good. So. Yeah. Um, it's doing well, but um, yeah. On a good note, though, I, I mean, our our pork uh, sells really well, and it's uh, everybody enjoys it. And I think one of the biggest things and one of the best things I did was finding the right processor. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, before we get off here and talk too long, make this go. But um, I think that's just as important. And uh, you know, they tell me, well, you're raising the animal, it's your animal. And I'm like, yeah, I think it's a, it's a partnership there. And I can do the best I can at raising the animal. But, you know, I don't want to dog people or, you know, any of that. But if you don't take it to a right processor, you know, they could definitely make it shine or make it average. Yeah. Um, so this place is great. Um, I don't sell it as organic or get it processed as organic, but they're they're certified organic. Um, so, like the hams and stuff, um, they're all processed without nitrate or any of those chemicals or any of that stuff. Um, and they uh, pay their employees well, so it's a little more expensive. But, I mean, you, they take what we're doing and just make it better. And I think that was one of the best decisions we made was Yeah, that's not too bad, and, and of course, like you said, that's that's justifiable in in finding the right processor that's going to do what you want, how you want it, and and uh, give you that assurance that you're getting a, you're getting your product back and getting it back the way you wanted it. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, Matt, man, I appreciate you coming on. Let's uh, let me close out with the question here that I ask everyone: What is your favorite part about raising pigs on pasture? Um, I would say it is a sunny afternoon, but just the going out and um, the socializing with them, you know, <laughs> but just go out, you know, they like to see you. Um, I like to see them, little scratches behind the ears, um, and that uh, little connection there and just um, enjoying that nature and part of it and getting outside in the air and all of that. Sometimes the board can be a little too aggressive with his hellos, but <laughs> right. he's all right. Yeah. But yeah, he's enjoying those, those mm -hmm. moments. Cool. Yeah, no, I agree. There's, it's, it's nice getting out and, and just enjoying the time with them. Very social animals. 
So if, if people want to find out more about uh, your setup and your operation, where can they find you online? Uh, yeah, you can um, find us on Instagram at uh, Field of Hops, and we have just recently um, set up a Facebook uh, business page that we're uh, getting to um, that is also um, at Field of Hops. So you can find us there and some nice videos and pictures and try to share some info there. That's what we have going now. Um, from a previous, I think, one of your podcasts, hopefully we'll have a website up here soon. Right. We'll be running to go with that, too. All right. Sounds great, man. Well, man, I appreciate it. I uh, I hope uh, you survive this uh, crazy snowstorm that's coming through, and uh, have a good rest of your week. So as you can tell, we were able to get the interview finished before the bad weather hit us. We did actually lose power from that ice storm, so... Is what it is. That's the part of uh, the part you paid for living in paradise, right? <laughs> so, see so anyway. Well, I appreciate Matt coming on and sharing his story with us, and appreciate him um, just again being transparent and letting us know uh, what he was uh, what he was dealing with and the issues that come along. Well, again, don't forget to check out if you're interested to the in our marketing deep dive. We're doing one episode a month where we're we're going to take a subject like that and get really deep into it have some big discussion there. And then of course, opportunities for Q&A afterwards through the Patreon format. So check that out, the information down below in the show notes. Well, I pray everyone have a great week and we'll be back in two weeks. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.